Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer Softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. I am Gabrielle Hawkohen. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter, and I'm not allowed to try to predict the rapture. That's right. And if you want to know why, you should listen to this episode of this podcast, because we are here to talk about Sadie's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. And we are here to educate and we are here to inform our listeners about this cult and to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. Freedom! Like the Beyonce song. Before we get into all of that, I would just like to say, um, first, I'd like to thank the listeners and say that the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully viewer-supported podcast. And so if you enjoy this content, you can subscribe to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. And there we are going to have, well, we already have uh, extended episodes of the show. So it's got all sorts of outtakes, all sorts of stuff that we're, that we don't say in our version. That's maybe a little bit too spicy or just goes on for too long. And if you don't want to join the Patreon for, you know, whatever reason, you can support us in other ways by recommending this podcast to your friends, your family, your coworkers. You know, we're trying to grow our audience, raise awareness, all of that stuff. Um, because, you know, cult groups like the IFB pose a, a real present danger to society as a whole. And the third thing that you can do to help us out is, you know, maybe if you like other podcasts, you listen to other podcasts, you know, like other interview podcasts, or maybe you listen to a different cult or like a different true crime podcast, you can write an email or message on social media to the hosts of those podcasts and say, you know, Sadie and Gabrielle from Leaving Eden podcast, it would be great guests. They're interesting. You know, help us get the word out any way that we can. Um, and that would that would be greatly appreciated. 
If you want to have more in-depth conversations, then you can head over to our Facebook group. It's called Eden Exodus on Facebook. Type in Eden Exodus and you can join the Facebook group and we're going to have a discussion there. I'm excited about the Facebook group. Yeah, we've had people join it. We've had like two people join it. One person join it. No, I think two. Two? Okay, wonderful. Yeah, there was somebody, somebody from Twitter. Speaking of a massive tech company, though, um, I was having a conversation with my friend the other day, one of my friends. Uh, actually, she listens to the podcast. So, oh, hi, friend. Yeah, uh, she, but she was telling me about like what it's like to be a woman in the STEM field, and she told me that she made a TikTok about it, and that the TikTok got like five hundred thousand views or something, um, which was interesting because she was also raised in a group that's not dissimilar to the IFB, but I guess she wasn't banned from studying STEM fields. I so I don't know what science. With the science disciplines, you know, I, I know that you guys didn't really learn about them that great because, you know, biology, evolution, that sort of thing you weren't really allowed to learn. Yeah, I feel like the math curriculum in IFB schools, at least the two curriculums that I'm the most familiar with, I don't think it's too far removed from what you would learn in a public school in just the, the average public school in America. It, it honestly might be just slightly better just as far as just the math curriculum. The main difference is that you're also memorizing a Bible verse at like the bottom of each page. But the actual curriculum, up in, in, at least until you get to Algebra 2 or Geometry, I don't think it's too bad. Because, you know, I originally went to college for teaching mathematics. Yeah, it was the most education I could pursue. Yeah, so I want to back up real quick there to something that you just said. Because you just said that uh, you would have had to uh, memorize Bible verses in math class. Yes. So, I mean, on the quiz, we would have to multiply the reciprocal correctly and then also write down the Bible verse correctly. So, like on a 10-question quiz, there would be nine math questions and one Bible verse question. And all each question would be 10 points. So, Bible memorization was just a part of most quizzes and every test. It was just one of the questions on your test or, or more than one of the questions on your test. But it would be like an actual question on the test, not just like extra credit? Depending on the curriculum, sometimes it could be extra credit, but but almost always it was just a part of the test. And in college, I took classes where half or more of the test was just, what is this, write this Bible verse correctly. Th that was like a math class? You had to take a math oh, class? Oh, like no. That was like Christian womanhood and oh, okay, stuff. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That no, makes fortunately, sense. my math professor at Hiles Anderson was an actual PhD in an actual mathematic field from an actual accredited co accredited college. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> biblically inspired word problems are not off the table. No. When I'm thinking of Bible college math class, that's not necessarily like what I'm thinking about. So what what so what is your vision of Bible college math? You know, like you know that weird. Bible numerology stuff for predicting the rapture, like oh yeah, so, yeah. So as you know, like everything I know about the rapture and Christianity comes from The Simpsons. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I really wish I could tell you that that isn't a real thing that people do, but I have seen people just spend so long using numerology to link whatever politician they don't like to the Antichrist six 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 by using like the <laughs> numerical value of the letters. 
I've seen those memes on Facebook shared by boomers saying that Obama is secretly. Yeah, yeah, but that people did it for Bush and people do it for Trump. Anybody can you can make six 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 out of anybody's name. I guarantee you, I could do it out of your name if I wanted to. Interesting, because it because if it doesn't work out right, if they try it in English and it doesn't work, they'll try it in Greek because Greek has different letters that correspond to different numbers, uh, or they'll try it in Hebrew. And then like if they can't make it work that way, then they will come up with some name meaning. Like, do you know the the meaning of your first name? Yes. Okay. Like what's do you know what like what's the the meaning? Well, I'm named after the the angel. Right. But is there like a like like I don't know, like God's princess or like wise man or hang on. Uh I looked it up, uh Hero of God. Hero of God. Like God's hero. Um, okay, so they will if if you can't make it work with Gabriel, you'll look up the meaning and then you'll use the you'll figure out the the numerical value of the word God's hero. Three, you can do that in three different languages. And you can do that, that in Hebrew work. if that doesn't. So you can find it. Yeah, so you can find that six 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 anywhere. Like it would be like, oh, we're we're just gonna add up. We're gonna go into Hebrew and we're gonna add up all the vowels. Never mind the fact that Hebrew doesn't have any vowels. Well, that's that's another thing that they will manipulate Hebrew names because let's count like how many, you know, how many letters in this name if you put the vowels in, how many if you take the vowels out, and like what's the this minus that, and and you know the the full name with the vowels, and then how many do you take out, and like they'll use that too, which is another reason that they'll translate to Hebrew if they can't make six 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 happen in Greek or English. This is f- hilarious and fascinating. I've, so I've got to ask, like, did you get to take uh, Predicting the Rapture 121 in Hubert Hall with Professor Pike? Uh, sadly, I was stuck with normal calculus in college. I was not allowed to take eschatology, which is the study of prophecy and end times. I'm, I'm wondering this. How do you teach a class on, uh, on, on predicting the end of times if nobody successfully predicted the end of times yet? I'll try to be as simple as I can be. Um, Basically, there's a scripture verse that says that no one, not even Jesus, knows exactly when the rapture will be. But there's a list of like hundreds. Okay, so just like people believe there are like 500 messianic prophecies that point to Jesus, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that point to the rapture, which is Jesus' return to earth. So when other people who aren't IFB or Christian or their brand of Christian try to predict the rapture, uh, IFB people tend to kind of thumb their nose at that because there are f- there are a few key things that have not happened yet. So we know it can't happen yet. And also because of that scripture verse that, that says that nobody actually knows when it's going to be except for literally God himself. Okay. So why would you teach a class on how to predict it then? It's not how to predict it. It's more of a class on all the intricacies of the prophecies leading up to the rapture. So even though they believe that it's impossible to predict it, they will still try to predict it. And mm-hmm. it's like it's like a high. I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain. Okay, so you know the meme. There's like a dude, and he's got all these papers on the wall, and like the red string connecting these papers. He's got a crazy look on his face. Yeah. So you oh you mean uh, Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia talking about Pepe Sylvia? Is that what that is? I keep I keep meaning to watch that show, and I haven't seen it. But yeah, anyway, that that meme, like that guy. I know that, that, you know, people like to poke fun at conspiracy theorists and whatever using that meme, but the feel, feeling of putting together these like 
these biblical prophecies that you hold to be absolute truth and literal and trying to put them together into something that reflects the world around you and makes you feel in control of the world. It is literally a high. It is. Wow. It is. I don't know how to, how else to explain it. So I think it's pretty funny that they're trying to teach a class on like how to be a prophet, like Professor Trelawney teaching divination in Harry Potter. Yeah, but except for cards and tea leaves and all that kind of thing are, are satanic. Uh, but numerology and counting the letters in Bible verses is like totally A-OK. Uh, oh, and this is a side note, but this plays into the whole King James Version only thing because... They believe that the chapter numbers and the verse numbers and which words fall into which verse and the spelling of certain words that are spelled in a more British or archaic way in the King James Version, they believe that all of those things are inspired by God. And that turns out being important to some of these numerology things. So that's kind of a, it's another little minor thing that feeds into the King James Version doctrine. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, but these prophecies are, they're hidden, which by which they mean they're not understandable to the uninitiated. So, uh, for example, the, the prophecy from Revelation about the great beast with the many heads and the ten horns on the seven heads, that's not something that just anybody could read and understand. So they consider being able to interpret that in an understandable way as a form of prophecy itself, even though you're not prophesying anything new that's not already written in the Bible. Huh. That's, I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, did you did you get to take this class? Because that's uh, that sounds fascinating. Uh, sadly, no. Uh, women are not allowed to preach or prophesy, so uh, I wasn't able to take that. Wait, women can't be prophets? Well, no, because that would put a woman in leadership over a man, and it would also require a woman to speak in front of the church. Uh, neither of which are allowed. But there's lots of female prophets, like in the Hebrew Bible. Like there's. Yeah. So, like Deborah, like Deborah. Yeah, I mean, she's one of them. Okay, yeah, one of Deborah was okay. So Deborah is allowed to be a judge because there were no qualified men to be judges. So, like, it's still bad for her to be a judge, but any sin isn't her responsibility because it's the responsibility of the men who weren't good enough to be a judge. Okay, but like, what about Miriam? Because she like m- like. She literally had two brothers who were also prophets, and they were definitely available. Or what about Sarah? Like, she was literally married to Abraham, who was also a prophet. Like, oh, wait, wait. Miriam and Sarah are prophets? You guys don't think that Miriam and Sarah are prophets? Okay, let me back. Let back I'm backing up to Miriam. Okay, so Miriam is... Tell me if I get this wrong. Miriam is Moses' sister. Yes. And Aaron's sister. And yes. she led all the women of... When they, when people were the the Israelites were going out of Egypt to like the Promised Land, I get. And like Miriam's in charge of the women, which is like how the pastor's wife is in charge of all the women at the church. What? Yeah, like that's what that was her job was to like tell all the women what to do, and then she was also in charge of music because like all the women were in, were musicians, so she was in charge of that. So it's like acceptable for a woman to be in charge of music, but I don't know anything about her prophesying anything wait oh my this is wild this what? is so wild oh my god what did i get wrong no so like the ifb hates women so much that they will literally go back and retcon their own holy books in order to make it seem like women aren't capable of doing anything consequential 
Like, I feel like I should be surprised, but like after everything that we've done and everything that we've talked about so far, I am not at all surprised. So what did Miriam prophesy? I mean, she led the Israelites in the Song of the Sea, right? Yeah, and that like I think that ended up getting included in the Psalms. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let me open up my book right now. Um, I am going to read for I have this bookmarked from earlier. Uh, Exodus fifteen nineteen and fifteen twenty right here for the horses of Pharaoh with chariots and horsemen went into the sea. For the Lord turned back on them and the waters of the sea, but the Israelites marched on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her in dance with timbrels. Like, it literally says Miriam the prophetess. Okay, so that is pretty clear about her being a prophetess. Okay, so as far as Sarah... Like, I feel like there has to be a, a disconnect in our stories somewhere. But the story that I know is um, Sarah is Abraham's wife, and Abraham has been promised descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky. But they're getting old, and they haven't had any children. So Sarah doesn't believe God's promise that Abraham's going to have descendants. Uh, so she gives Abraham her maid to have a child with. And then that child is Ishmael, and he's the father of all Arab peoples. And then God sends angels to visit them. And the angels tell them that Sarah is going to have a child. And she laughs because she has no faith. Uh, But God still gives them a child. And that's Isaac. And he is the father of all Jewish people. So basically, Sarah's lack of faith caused the entire millennia of conflict in the Middle East because she caused Ishmael to be born. And Ishmael is the ancestor to all Arabs. And Arabs are responsible for all the conflict. Oh, my God. Yeah, basically, just like if Sarah had had more faith, Ishmael would never have existed, and therefore, neither would any of the wars. Okay, what the hell? This is... Okay. What? I mean, we we knew the IP. Okay, so... Okay, so what we learned, at least, was that... So, Sarah was born Sarai basically like what's modern day like Iraq and that she was Abraham's wife and she was also Abraham's half sister. So she and Abraham journey to Canaan and they meet Pharaoh and Pharaoh is apparently quite taken with Sarah and Abraham is not wanting to be killed. So he tells Pharaoh that Abraham is his sister and doesn't tell him that she's his wife. Pharaoh apparently takes Sarah to be his concubine But then God struck Pharaoh's house with illness, um, except for Sarah. And then Sarah goes back to Abraham. And then 10 years go by. And after not being able to have a child due to advanced age, like she gives her slave to Abraham as a concubine. This was Hagar. And Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Then later, Sarah gave birth to Abraham's other son, Isaac. But then she kind of gets jealous And Sarah and Hagar's relationship deteriorates. And then Abraham has Hagar sent away at, I guess, Sarah's behest. And then, but God promises Hagar that, uh, that Ishmael, she promises Hagar and Ishmael that Ishmael will be the father of a great nation. Yeah. And that mostly fits like that fits with the story that I was taught, except for the part where it's totally all Sarah's fault because she didn't have faith and she wasn't a supportive wife. 
why wasn't she's like why I, I don't get why wasn't she a supportive wife? Like she literally thought that it was so important for her husband to have a son that she suggested that he get somebody else pregnant. No, she didn't have faith that God would give her a child. So she took the easy way out by suggesting that Abraham have a child with somebody else. So if she had had enough faith, then she would have encouraged Abraham that God would still give them a child. So basically her breakdown in faith caused Abraham to also have less faith in God. Okay, so you know what this is? This is another one of those situations where Baptists think that like 19th and 20th century uh, like cultural norms are exactly the same as what they were thousands of years ago. Yeah, we live in a Judeo-Christian nation, so that means our culture is pretty much the same. So, first of all, um, (laughs) no Jewish person in America has ever (laughs) used the term Judeo-Christian unless they are, like, making a play to be the religious rights favorite token Jew of the week. In biblical times, your husband having another wife or, like, a concubine, a.k.a. a side piece who he was having children with, that's not that big a deal. It literally happened all the time. So like Sarah saying to Abraham after like 10 years of trying to get pregnant, um, yeah, maybe you should have a baby with somebody else. Uh, here's, here's my slave. That's not weird. That's not something that would be seen as like a lack of faith or like frowned upon that like, oh no, this, she did this, like that, that doomed the entire world. No, I know that like culturally that wouldn't have been an unusual practice. It's just in this particular scenario, Sarah gets blamed because she should have, because God told, like, she should have listened to God when God told her that that they would have a baby. Well, she did have a baby eventually. I don't like, I, I don't see what the big deal that you guys have was. Well, God gave her Isaac pretty much as like a told you so um, to make her feel bad for not trusting him to begin with. They just they just hate Arabs so much. They're just like, man, the world would have been a better place if they never existed in the first. But that's okay. So right, and let's find a way to blame a woman for it. This isn't the only time. Literally, this exact same thing happened. Abraham's grandson Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. When Rachel was not able to conceive a child with Jacob, she offered up her handmaiden. Literally, the exact same thing. Jacob had two wives who were also sisters, and then there's and then those two sisters they each had like a female slave who was also Jacob's concubine. Those four women were the mothers of like all of the tribe of Israel, or like the, yeah. the of all of the tribes of Israel of the nation of like that's literally like I. Yeah, but I don't recall ever being told that story in a way that gives Rachel or Leah any agency. I mean, Rachel and Leah are like pretty much just robots, like, you know, non-playing characters in the, you know, there's they don't have any decision power over what goes on in their own life. Their dad, so like... Fair. I mean, they get married off. Right. Like Jacob originally wants to marry Rachel and their dad the night before is like, nope, guess what? It's actually going to be Leah. Because she's she's older and I'm trying to get rid of her. Right. So like they don't have any say in the matter in the version of the story that I heard. Okay. So I hang out with a lot of Jewish people and literally every woman is named either Rachel or Leah or Sarah or Hannah or Rebecca. I mean, not literally every woman, but like it's so (laughs) common. Like 
I mean, these are these are like all they're women who are like heavily venerated. I mean, you know, they're they're not worship, but they're like they're they're seen as like honorable, honorable people that you know we should celebrate. Or why would you name your kid after somebody who was famous for causing all of the world's conflicts because she allowed a baby to be born that fathered all of like the and it's like I, I would you go back in time and murder Hitler's mother or something like. I mean, I can't imagine anybody these days naming their kid Adolf. Well, no. Yeah, just because of the connotation. I mean, you wouldn't go around naming your kid Genghis. These biblical names, they are really common for IFB people to to name their children after, especially girls. Rachel and Leah are very popular. But I think I'm seeing a couple different different things here. So I think Rachel and Leah, the way they were portrayed without any agency, I think that's kind of how the IFB likes to portray women in general. So the the spin that would get put on that is Rachel and Leah were submissive to what their father told them to do and like went along with their dad's plan. Miriam, I feel like she was just downplayed to be less important because they don't want women getting ideas about being in leadership at all. And hmm. That to my point, I've never known an IFB girl named Miriam. Really? Known plenty of Rachels and Leah's and Sarah's and a few Deborah's. Never known a Miriam. With the Sarah story, though, I feel like there's something more insidious going on because I feel like this story was it was used. Like this story is used to browbeat IFB wives into performing exactly the way that they're supposed to perform. Because I know we were taught in marriage classes and women's conferences that even a momentary lapse in support of our husbands was an affront to God and could lead to disastrous consequences. Like a couple of weeks ago, okay, my husband mentioned a project that he wanted to try. And I said something along the lines of, oh, do you think you can pull that off? And I have not gone a day without feeling horribly guilty about doubting him since then. And like, it was, it wasn't being mean. It was literally just like, oh, do you think you can handle that? Like, do you think you can do that? But like, I doubted him and I feel so bad. And I've been feeling bad about that for weeks. So the more I learn about this cult, the more I realize how little they actually care about religion or God and how it's all just about control. But like, I've got to ask, so how prevalent are these beliefs among other Christian denominations? Do you know? I I really, I wouldn't want to try to say for sure. Um, I know the specific story where the angels come to visit Abraham and Sarah and they tell her that she's going to have a baby and she laughs. That I know that one is more prevalent even outside the IFB because the, it, the concept though, the spin on it is more in the direction of like, don't laugh at God or don't disbelieve that God can do miracles in your life. I mean, clearly you don't know any Jewish women that would be like, I mean, you go, you go to a, a Jewish woman who's like, I mean, how old was, was Sarah in the story? Was she was like 60, 90, nine. Yeah. She's nine. You go to a 90 year old Jewish woman and you're like, Hey, you're going to have a baby. She's going to be like, what are you? An angel from God? <laughs> <laughs> Telling I mean, me that I'm going to have a baby at my age, at my age. You know, I feel like we should do a um a series of uh dramatic readings of Bible stories. Oh god. <laughs> like oh. the way it actually happened. You're crazier than your uncle Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> but in like outside of the IFB and more like in more uh more modern religious groups, I think it's spun more as um you know, think you know, God God can do really amazing things in your life and God can do things that you don't think are possible. So, you know, don't ever give up hope or whatever. 
Sure. Which is which I is mean, a lot nicer than don't doubt your husband for half of a second or you will cause world wars. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, I know you guys I know you guys are all weird about like original sin and that stuff being caused by a woman. But like imagine thinking that like being a disobedient wife a few thousand years ago, like one lady being a disobedient wife a few thousand years ago caused 9-11. I mean, that's literally the belief though. Like Sarah was less than perfect as a wife one time and therefore 9-11 happens. So naturally, this is terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I know that it sounds ridiculous, but this is terrifying for a young woman who wants to marry within the IFB because you literally feel like you have to be perfect all the time or you could cause disaster in your husband's life and your family's life and maybe start a war 2,000 years from now. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's Amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer. Softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, so I guess the IFB have some dubious reasons for discounting those three prophetesses. The, the three that we talked about, uh, Miriam, Sarah, and, and Deborah. Uh, but what about the other four? What do you mean the other four? There are, f- there are seven. There are seven? There are seven. Fe- Jewish people believe that there are seven female prophetesses in the Hebrew Bible. Um, we talked about Deborah and Miriam, Sarah, and then there's four more. Um, let's see if I can remember them. There's, uh, let's see, Sarah, Miriam, Deborah... Hannah, Abigail, Esther, um, there's one more. I don't know who the other one is. It's, oh, it's Hulda. I had, to, I had to look this up because unlike Sadie, I can't just spout these things off the top of my head. It's probably just a sign that you were not brainwashed. 
Yeah, I wish I wish Who Wants to Be a Millionaire would do like a Bible facts one because I would right. so you would, you would be a millionaire. Anyway. Unless they ask you who are the seven female prophetesses, and then you'd be like, I am out of luck here. Well, now I would know. Now you would know, but like, what if they ask you some theology that's not like insane? They're like, does Jesus want you to hate people? Oh, see, that's a really tough question. I don't think I can answer that. No, I think I, I was familiar with, so I'd be familiar with six out of those seven, though. I've never heard of Hulda. Uh, how did you say? You said Hannah. Uh, we say Hannah. You say. You're forgetting the. I'm going to say I'm going to. Hannah. Okay. No, you forgot. The I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that Hana. noise and I can't roll my R's. That's why I don't. That's why my second language is sign language, because I can't make my voice do those things. I mean, it's just it's just like how the other day you were uh, making tea. And- <laughs> oh my god, this is gonna come up now. Okay, yeah. So you were making tea as you do, and you're <laughs> like, "Would you like any tea?" And I'm like, "Oh no, thank you. I don't really like to drink caffeine afternoon." And then you're like. I'm like, do you do you have anything herbal? And you're like, no, I have chai tea. And I'm like, you mean chai tea? Because it's spelled like C H A I. In Hebrew, you pronounce C H A I. You'd pronounce that chai. Like I've literally gone my entire life believing that chai tea was in fact chai tea. And I like for like in my mind, I thought that when British people were like, oh well, we're having high tea, I'd be like. <laughs> No, they're just British and they can't pronounce high tea. Like, I thought that like high tea was like literally a kind of tea. And she thought I was joking for like. No, I thought you were just messing with me. And I was like, dude, I have not not. eaten. I was like, and I was like, dude, I need you to like, to like slow your roll because I haven't eaten yet. And you're like kind of getting on my nerves, like with this like clowning. Well, I thought you were just like clowning around and I was like, dude, can you please save the ridiculous, like whatever you're doing, the bit that you're doing until I eat? And you were like, no, I'm not joking. I'm not like, I literally thought like it, it said hi, like, like hi tea. Uh, Why would like, I just assumed that, uh, that it was like, a, and you know, I'd known people like when, when I was in college, we were like, oh, like, let me get a London fog. They go to the bistro, the, um, coffee shop and they'd be like oh let me get a london fog and i'm like what's in a london fog and they'd be like chai like it's like a chai tea latte with like steamed milk or something uh, yeah. i don't know what's in a london fog and, and i'd be like you mean a chai tea latte and they'd look at me like super weird and i'm just like never mind well i'm glad that i finally got to set you straight I on do, that. i'm still gonna you know what i'm still gonna call it chai tea anyway um Hannah was another woman who so so her story is pretty common. Uh so she was in infer- <laughs> she was married to this guy what? Hannah. So, so she was married to this dude. I think his name was Elkana or Elkana, but she he had another wife and his other wife was able to have kids, but she wasn't. Hannah wasn't. So she went to the temple and she prayed at the temple. And uh, the priest thought she was drunk because she was praying so fervently. And after that, she was given a child and she had a little boy named Samuel. Uh, So then when Samuel turned five years old, she returned him. She brought him back to the temple where he could grow up serving in the temple. And then Samuel grew up to be like, yeah, like a great prophet and and judge. That's a a famous one. Yeah. 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 Like he's super important. And I think 
um, Samuel's mother comes off with a really good reputation among modern Christians. Like she, she, I think she gets kind of put down the least out of these seven women. Why? Because she prayed and then was exalted for having the highest honor that a woman in, is allowed to have, which is being a mother. Uh, and then also she surrendered her baby back to God. They don't want women to do anything except pop out kids, do they? Yeah. Uh, well, also you're supposed to be supportive to your husband. Like basically you're there as a support structure for your husband's life and ministry and to have his babies. Also in that story though, it's portrayed as like totally cool for Hannah's husband to hate and reject her um, because she can't have children. Like basically the way it's portrayed is like, well, the other wife was bullying her because she was infertile and that's not cool for the other wife to bully her. But like, it's totally within her husband's rights to hate her and reject her and not want anything to do with her um, because she can't have children. I could imagine that that would be really damaging if um, I know a few people that have struggled with infertility. Uh-huh. It's that's a difficult thing that a lot of people have to struggle with or that they've had like, Mm-hmm. I guess you're far enough along that I can say the word miscarriages without oh yeah, like fixing anything, it's yeah, fine. but like they who've, who've dealt with that, and that was difficult for them and, and sad for them to do like that is just a terrible thing for anybody to have to you know couples who want to have children, people who want to have children and, and aren't able to uh, or have a tough time getting there. It's just heartbreaking, no matter what your story is that's that's an awful thing to go through, and then being told that's your fault, oof. Like I know, like this is you know with with the having two wives and like he preferred the wife who could have children. Like I know that's kind of just the way things were, but this is like uh, uh, the IFB does kind of hang it over people's heads because while they would never say it out loud, the messaging that you're getting, like the subliminal messaging and the the subtle messaging that you're getting, is you know if you prayed harder, God would give you children, or it's okay for your husband to blame you if you struggle with infertility. So like when you were growing up in the IFB and you were hearing this sort of thing, like what was going through your head? Yeah. And this is okay. So this is going to be a little bit dark, just FYI. Um, But specifically hearing the story of Hannah, I always assumed that I would be able to have as many children as my husband and I wanted uh, because I prayed. Told me you prayed for twins. Uh, I did. I did pray for twins, and I was um, the. I, I'm currently pregnant with just one, uh, so I think maybe uh, maybe God knows the best time to answer your prayers and when to kind of let them go. <laughs> twins um, right now, Ive, that'd be. A- <laughs> yeah, one one right now is a little frightening. <laughs> so. you no, know, twins like right out the gate, like first children, twins. That's like oh. Yeah. <laughs> The Lord is testing me right here. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I think I'm going to chalk this up to uh, God knows when and how to answer your prayers. Um, <laughs> obviously, like that's not a good point of view because I was praying, you know, at at fourteen, fifteen, you know, that God would give me children one day. But to think that that would just like magically overcome science or overcome any health problems at all and just like magically give me as many children as I wanted, uh, that's a, that's not a correct or a scientific point of view. And I think this like this kind of ties in with something I said last time about thinking that my hard work would cause me to rise in the ranks at Hiles Anderson. You know, I always assumed that because I was doing my best or because I was working hard or because I was praying often that I would always just be blessed with things going right for me. And 
I just thought, well, if things aren't going right for me, then that is just God testing me so that he can bless me later. So this is a whole like construct of thinking about my life and like the events of my life that had to be deconstructed coming out of the IFB because I literally had to learn that things like health problems are not a blessing or being tested or being cursed. They're just biological functions of having a human body. And you can't assume you're standing with God or anyone else is standing with God over what health problems you do or don't have. When you were younger, you say like, you encountered an IFB couple that was like uh, over 30, but they were childless. Like, would your immediate assumption be that they had been cursed? I don't want to say that the assumption is that they're being cursed. The assumption absolutely is that they want children and that they can't have children for whatever reason. But it could be a test from God to test their faith. Uh, It could be a punishment for a sin they committed. It could be a positive reason or a negative reason. You just you don't know. So would it be like a punishment for a sin that they committed or would it be like more likely a sin that she committed? Ooh, um, so it really could be either or both. So uh, maybe they kissed before they got married or something. Mm. And again, it's not necessarily that it's always perceived as a curse or a punishment, but it's, it's either God is punishing you for something or God is testing your faith. Some or you know, God is making you suffer so that somebody else can t- succeed. The consequences for if you break the standard, if you are a man, are much less serious, or maybe you know they're just as serious, but they're more willing to forgive you. I mean, if you're talking about like the I what the IFP would call sexual immorality, which would include you know kissing before you're married, I, I think you're right that the weight of that falls more on women. The dressing and behaving a certain way is expected of women, because if you tempt a man, then it's mostly your fault if he, quote, falls into sin. Uh, so like, I think what this comes down to, though, is it's the idea that men are slaves to their desires and that women are naturally able to practice self-control because women have so little sexual desire to begin with. So if a woman wears a skirt above her knee and that causes her boyfriend to want to have sex with her, well, that's like 75% her sin and 25% his sin because she started it and because he can't control himself because he's a man. So do people actually believe that women have no sexual desire to begin with? Or is that just something that they preach to you so that you'll think it's normal to not be attracted to the man that you have to marry? (laughs) So I and many other people like me that I've that I've spoken with, we believed what we were taught, uh, the, the concept that women have little to no sexual desire at all until we, through the course of life events, learned otherwise. Mm. Uh, I, <laughs> is that good? Good. Good way of putting that. That is on a our good PG way of putting it. Yeah, podcast. On our, yeah our, um, PG, our, our podcast is what, PG-13? Our podcast, yeah, our podcast is like mildly PG-13. Um, I wouldn't discount the idea that it makes women more likely to marry for like spirituality or for ministry reasons when attraction isn't a factor that they think they need to consider when they're looking for a husband. Uh, but I also think it's about mental control because keeping women from thinking at all is hugely important to keeping them willing to stay in the cult. Do you, okay, do you have any male friends who complain about how they don't get matches on dating apps because, quote unquote, women only care about appearance and these apps are so superficial? Yeah, I've definitely heard dude friends say stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, like this whole thing seems to me that the IFB has set up like an elaborate 
mind control system that's entire purpose is to make it so that men don't have to do the hard work in order to get women to like them if she doesn't feel sexual attraction to you it's because she's incapable of feeling sexual attraction to begin with yeah <laughs> yeah um so it feels so far figured f- out <laughs> it feels far-fetched to think that like somebody set this up on purpose like really intentionally but I can tell you this is how it functions in practice. So like being at Hiles Anderson, there are definitely, you know, cute boys and less cute boys. It's not top of mind and it's not what you're supposed to look for at all when you go to date somebody. And, and you know, men are, like you said, men are discouraged from kind of doing these things anyway, you know, going to the gym and getting, you know, a haircut that actually suits their face um, because men should be more busy with their ministry work and not have time for a lot of superficial stuff like that. So unless it's working towards looking, you know, neat and professional to attract more church members, uh, it's not something that should be your priority. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen the pictures and all of these IFB dudes uh, dressed all like, in like a way that it like makes these 22 year old dudes look like fourth graders on class photo day. Okay. So I feel like some of that though should be blamed uh, on the prohibition on facial hair. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that though. Looking like fourth graders is partially yeah, like, that. No, like none of these dudes have any of their idea, like what their vibe is. You know, none of them have any idea, like what their own personal style is, because there's only one style available. Like all, like there's dudes, like if you put them in like a suit and like shave them, you know, you know, baby face, clean shaven, and give them a 1950s, they're gonna look terrible. But like you give them like a cool long haircut, they're gonna like look like they're gonna look super handsome. You know, like I mean, you could be. Like here, here's an example. Like you could be like a sort of like gangly looking guy with a weird nose, and Tan and Jonathan from Queer Eye could like take you to the hair salon and take you to the mall and make you look attractive. But chances are, it's not going to be them getting you a suit off the rack from Macy's. Uh, Queer Eye isn't that that show uh, where good uh, red blooded American men are made to look like homosexuals because that's part of the gay agenda. Oh right, you guys. That's... <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, no. I love um, Queer Eye. I no, no. I totally do. Every time a new season comes out, I'm like, I'm gonna watch all of these in a row and then cry for three hours. I know. I I adore Queer Eye. I, I, please, if any of them ever miraculously hear this, I want them to know that I'm joking. <laughs> no, like actually, no. Bobby Burke. Bobby Burke was raised super fundy, right? You know, I think you might be right about that. He was. He talked about it in an episode. I do. We should see if we can get Bobby Ooh, Burke on the show. Let's get an interview. Let's yeah. get an interview with Bobby Burke. Bobby Burke, if you're listening to this show or anybody who knows Bobby Burke is listening to the show, we are huge fans of Queer Eye and would absolutely uh, uh, love for love to get in touch with you in any way that's possible. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about in the off chance that you're like one of the few hundred people that listens to this show. You know, as <laughs> you know what, uh, it life is it's all about connections. Yeah, it is networking. Uh, no, but like you know, aside from my joking about the the gay agenda, um, poverty or at least frugality uh, and conformity are what it, are valued in the IFB. Like, especially, you know, Hiles Anderson guys, most of them get their hair cut by some dude with clippers in a dorm room bathroom like the night before hair check. And if you're lucky, you know somebody who used to be in the military, so at least he can buzz it correctly. And all of these are dudes that you're supposed to, like, want to marry, not like yeah. 
five, six, seven years down the line, but like immediately, like married at 21, popping out kids pretty soon. Yeah, like you graduate college the beginning of May, you get married the beginning of June, and then, you know, two weeks later, you show up at the church where you're going to be, uh, you know, an assistant pastor or whatever. And then a year or two down the line, you're starting to have kids. In the IFB, you marry one person, right? That's the only person that you can have sex with your whole life. So, you know, putting yourself in this like hypothetical IFB woman's shoes, like that's why this system requires such a large amount of brainwashing. Because if you, as this hypothetical person, ever realize that you do or that you can feel sexual attraction, you're suddenly going to be very unsatisfied with the choices that are put before you. So the whole system depends on getting you married in a marriage where divorce is not an option uh, and hopefully pregnant before you figure this out. Because now you're many IFB uh, women are are going to stay in abusive marriages or just less than ideal marriages, especially once they have a child. Because, you know, you're told that that being divorced is just the worst thing that you can do for your child and your child will never recover or be a functional adult. You know, once you're married and pregnant, you, you, it doesn't matter if you figure this out. But, as, you know, you've got to get you got to get them married and get them pregnant before they figure it out or the system would just fall apart. So, like, if these dudes had to start trying to be hot instead of trying to be neat and generic, a few of the guys, they look pretty good in IFB style. But, you know, any system that allows a man who looks like David Hiles to become a player is a system that is clearly full of brainwashed people. (laughs) Um, So, I I mean, I do think this is important uh, that we kind of went off of what we were talking about, but I, I think it needs to be talked about because... The, IF, the, the idea that the IFB is a system that depends on the brainwashing and the subjugation of women, th- that's something that people are aware of. Pretty much anyone who just takes a casual look at the IFB can figure that out. But I think it's important to dig into some of the ways that the system actually functions. You were talking about how women will be told that they needed to lose weight in order to attract the husband. Not that he would ever need to lose weight or that he would need to put in special effort to attract a wife. Like, this is not to say that somebody should ever need to lose weight in order to be attractive. Uh, Because, you know, like I said, beauty is is skin deep. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And there's more important things to look at than appearance. But, like, this just popped out as an important example because of the way that, like, especially, like, weight and attractiveness are tied together in culture broadly and, like, especially in the IFB. Just another thing, like we talked about, um, just another way in which women's physical needs, like not even desires, but needs are so secondary and so important that they might as well like not exist. And if you're a dude, maybe you're not IFB, but like if you're a dude and you're sort of in like this self-pitying mood to try to say, oh, women don't like me, but it's not my fault. I wish they had to like me. This is the sort of like brainwashing thing that you're advocating. Like if you take this to like the logical conclusion of I wish women had to like me. Like this is the sort of thing. This is the sort of system that would have to exist in order for women to be quote unquote made to like you. Yeah. <laughs> and and I feel like weird direction, but Hey, it's a good direction. I feel like this goes hand in hand with the idea that um, like a good woman can make any man a good man. Like it's the same concept like, oh, well, if if a woman is willing to give up her desires and her basic needs for a year or three years or five years or however long. Her whole lifetime. 
or a lifetime, yeah, uh, that her innate goodness, goodness and saintliness and selflessness will heal whatever is messed up about that man. Uh, and I think too many novels and movies tend toward this kind of relationship, even on way more innocent levels. Like a man is a slob and he doesn't care about his job very much. And he like smokes too much weed until he meets this unbelievably perfect woman who inspires him to do better. Do you, okay. Do you ever see those like cringy pics on Instagram or Tumblr where people are like, I want a relationship like Harley Quinn and the Joker. And it's like, just yes. like some, so, yeah. I'm scared of Harley Quinn girls. Yeah. So, do you, okay. You know where else I see this sort of thing? Where? So, as a musician, um, and people who are musicians, um, and you feel targeted by this, uh, I absolutely mean to target you with this. Uh, <laughs> so as a musician, anyway, I see dudes, other musicians, usually in their 20s, uh, uh, writing not just songs, but full albums about some girl who just wasn't that into them but their emotional ma- immaturity made the rejection of one woman onto whom they had projected all of their desires and turned into like a fictionalized woman of uh, a fictionalized version of their perfect woman like the rejection of one woman felt so consequential that they had to make a whole album out of it <laughs> like wow but like dudes will do this all the time and then glorify their own emotional turmoil because it feel like they want their suffering to mean something. So, I mean, real quick before I respond to all that, I did want to say that I feel like these are the same guys uh, who say stuff like, um, I like a girl who doesn't wear makeup and his is just naturally pretty. Um, but they're looking at a picture of a woman who has a full face of makeup on. It's just like tans and browns and no false lashes and no super bright lipstick. So, yeah. But this this idea that, that women exist to fix men, it is a barely obscured version of the idea that women exist to serve men. So when you're stereotyping women into this copy and paste like void that needs filling in my life, you can characterize that woman as a manic pixie dream girl or as a mother figure, or you can like try to be feminine, like try to look feminist and like, Oh, well she's my wonder woman or whatever you could, you know, you could use whatever stereotype you want to use. It's still objectification because that woman is replaceable to you. She could be any person who would sell her life out to do the emotional labor that you are not going to do yourself so that you can come out of it perceiving yourself to be a better person. You know, I think we're when we think of objectification, we typically think of just like reducing a person to their body parts or, or re- reducing a person to a stereotype, which, the, and yes, that is objectification, but it, it also is when you are just trying to, to put a role on a person because you want someone to fill that role in your life. And the the thing about, you know, being fixated on like one woman who isn't into you that really kind of gives me the creeps. And I'm sure that, that other, you know, women and femme people who are listening to this are probably feeling that same kind of feeling on edge. Like I am because not, not every time that that is a recipe uh, that can turn into a stalker situation real quick. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing. So there's nothing wrong with being into somebody who isn't into you. 
Of course not. I mean, that's just a fact of life, you know, but like what we're talking about here is, is like taking that to the extreme. No, like, of course, that's a common human experience. Um, but, but when you get to the point where you feel like you need that one person, uh, whether they realize that you're meant to be or not, you're going to prove to them that you're meant to be like, it, it can go from, um, it can go from movie to uh, stalker real quick. It can just take yeah. a real dark turn from there. Yeah. So like, I mean, if you combine this sort of like fixation with like, you're fixated on one person, like you combine that with the IFB sexual purity doctrine mm-hmm. and then combine those two things with the fixation that the IFB has on two people being destined to be together and only with each other. Like, I mean, this is a really, really, really dangerous, like trifecta of combination. Like, you know, it's like, uh, uh, it's a powder keg. I mean, that, mm-hmm. like, Like you're a young man and for whatever reason you get it into your head that God has a specific girl picked out for you to marry and then you see her with another man and then you've had your head filled with a bunch of like woman hating insanity your whole life. I mean, that's you might get it into your head that God wants you to do something that you really should be doing. Right. Like it's not that that's going to happen every time, but that there is a there is a, a slippery slope of behavior there as much as I dislike that term. Yeah. But I, I've heard it alluded to in the IFB, the, the idea that um, for a woman who is looking for a husband, the the right one is the one who asks you out first. Um, you probably read in Dating with a Purpose, um, women are encouraged to always say yes to a first date unless there are like really severe reasons not to. I think like I think in your interview when we went on the Permanent Waves podcast, you said that leaving the IFB was difficult because you had the option where it was easy to just turn off your brain and go through life just doing everything that you were told and supposed to do and like not question anything. What we're seeing here is that like turning off your brain in a cult, like in a group like this, it's a defense mechanism. It's like a necessity. Yeah. I think on permanent waves, I was talking about uh, the lyric, a ready guide in some celestial voice from the song free will. Great song. Just fighting against that kind of powerful system of brainwashing is just so tiring. Um, learning about your own personhood and agency when there is just every roadblock to learning about those things, it's exhausting. And if and if you are if you feel like you have the constitution to just give in to the brainwashing, it's like fighting it feels like fighting sleep. You know, the the brainwashing just wants you to just you're in a you're in a soft bed and you're comfortable and you just want to drift off to sleep and to to pull yourself out of that. It feels like fighting sleep. It's very difficult. You know that once you start uh, that heading that direction, heading the direction of getting out, that you are going to quickly come to a point where the genie is not going back in the bottle. And, And no matter how much you want the life that comes after getting out. You also know that the road to getting there is going to be just years of struggle and losing relationships and self-doubt and pain and tears. So a lot of people waver on the edge for a very long time because they don't know whether it's worth it to try or not. Yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of people just accept their life as it is because they just don't believe that the pain is worth the life that they could potentially have. I mean, you, you, okay. You know what this makes me think of? This might take a dark turn. You know what this makes me think Again. of? Again, <laughs> what? Yeah, Dark Turns. That's this episode. Um, this episode title is, we're going to change the episode title to Dark Turns. Yeah. So, you know you know how Jeffrey Dahmer was trying to make people into brainless sex zombies? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's creepy. Anyway, this has been this has been an enlightening conversation. We've talked about women in STEM, math, Bible numerology, female prophets, sexism, expectations for women, incels on dating apps, brainwashing, and Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I don't know. I think we better. This is this has been deeply enlightening, and I think. But I think we better end it here uh, because otherwise we're gonna like. I don't know, start talking about the Kennedy assassination or something. Yeah, and you really, you know better than to start me talking about the Kennedy assassination. Just don't do it. More like, yeah. yeah, this episode went off in some uh, creative directions. More like some weird directions, but... Uh, fair enough, okay. Yeah. But I think there are certain topics, um, when we talk about the IFB, and misogyny is one of them, and then purity culture is another one. Uh, and then one more would be why people get into the IFB and why people stay there. Like these topics, this is not something that we can just write one episode about and move on because it takes this kind of digging into beliefs to even begin to understand how this system functions. And it's, it's just a reminder, um, that the IFB is a subculture, that it's separate even from American evangelicalism and that there are generations of people and generations of teaching that bring about these kind of deep set beliefs. And, you know, three or four generations down the line, you have people and you don't know why they're behaving this way. And it takes years and decades and research to, to understand. I, I had no idea why I behaved this way for the first 20 years of my life. And now I have to really work to even find out. Well, I mean, it's also important to point out that uh, while the IFB has its own, is like its own sort of subset, these beliefs and like these concepts are not things that are bespoke to this group. And it's worth looking into even like below the surface level and like the misogyny, especially. Um, It's not just that it's bad and it's not just that it's so normal, but also that it's weird and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like there are just some like this misogyny there are just some bizarre permutations to it like these people will literally go back and change their own holy religious texts in order to be able to say that women can't do anything because the implications of this like it it runs so central to everything and admitting that ruins everything and i feel like everything that we said was like true and real and none of the connections like as bizarre direction as this took us but like it feels like none of the connections that we made were particularly far-fetched but like where it took us it just i mean as we just ended up way out there it was interesting i mean it was and and i think if i could say one more thing it would be that i i think that women are smart and in order to get an entire group of women to submit to this kind of misogyny you really have to build a system of beliefs around it this is not just the kind of thing that you can just say and people will accept it. And I think that's evidenced by, you know, I've heard many, many stories of the first generation of people that got into the IFB. You know, people that I've known, it's a family and the grandparents and the parents and the children, you know, three generations all go to the same church as me. The grandparents never accepted that women have to wear skirts only. Like they'll wear skirts to church, but all of those grandmas wear pants at home because they're not going to accept. Somebody just told them women can't wear pants and they're like, yeah, no. Um, And then, you know, you get through the generations, people begin to accept it and internalize it more. 
because you can't just say it and people accept it. Yeah, there has to be brainwashing generationally from an early age. And then you have to keep on justifying that throughout that person's life to build this kind of system. You know, these things build on themselves over generations. And that's where you get these deep seated beliefs. Anyway, I think that's a good point to end on. Um, Yeah, so this has been the Leaving Eden podcast. Uh, You can join us on Thursday for our weekly homework episode, two days from now, Thursday, um, where I'm actually, rather than assigning Sadie something, Sadie assigned me uh, the assignment of reviewing some Hiles Anderson tour group music, which is something that I am deeply excited for. Um, This is going to be so fun. Yeah, uh, once again, if you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. It really makes a difference and we really appreciate it. Um, you can uh, follow us on uh, social media, recommend us to your friends, uh, recommend us as interview guests to other podcasts you may listen to, um, and join our Facebook group. It's called Eden Exodus on Facebook. Join that group. We're going to post stuff in there. We'll have discussions in there. It's going to be really wonderful. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've been Gavriel and You can follow the podcast on social media instagram is at leaving eden podcast facebook is leaving eden podcast twitter is at leaving eden pod sadie you want to plug your social uh yeah you can find me on instagram at sadie carpenter music and on twitter at hell yes sadie and you can find me on facebook twitter instagram at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n um thank you very much and you have a wonderful day uh hope you'll tune in soon bye-bye Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.